So we're going to go ahead and um, we got a lot to talk about tonight and it's probably going to take us about three months. I'm not talking about th- 90 days, but I only get to see y'all once a month. So it'll probably take us about three lessons to get through what we're going to talk about. And in no way will we be able to exhaust what we're going to talk about today. And so what we're going to talk about is we're going to talk about God's decree. God's decree. To make a decree means to make a statement. When you were a child, your parents would tell you to do something and you would say, why? And your parents would give you a reason why and then you would say, why again? And then you would say, um, take three pages, uh, the first three pages, and then pass it on. So it's, there's three pages to the handout I'm giving you. And if you will, please, after our class tonight, put this in your Bible. Um, use it um, when you get some free time to meditate and think about what we're talking about tonight. Because I'm really going to challenge you tonight. Or I'm, I'm praying that the Word of God is really going to challenge you tonight to think about some things about your walk with Christ and, and about His walk with you. And so when you were a kid, your parents would say, give you uh, ultimatums, and you would say, why? And they would give you another ultimatum, and you'd say, why? And eventually it would always come down to, because I said so. And what, what you have in your laps right now is God's, because I said so. And so um, I've, I've, I'm just like you. I'm a human being, and I have questioned God in my life. If you are so good, why do people die and go to hell? Why do all those Buddhists and Hindus and, and Muslims over there that have never heard the gospel, why do they go to hell? Why do you do that? And the true answer is because I said so. Now, what I want you to understand is this. When you were a little kid and you were asking your parents questions like why, 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 your parents would try to give you an answer. But the problem is, in most cases, our minds and our worldview and and our scope and perspective is not capable of grasping the answer have you ever tried to explain something to a kid and like you, there's no way you can do it because you they don't have the vocabulary they don't have the reasoning power they don't have the ability to understand and so what you and I are going to find out as children of God he says to desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow by there as newborn babes is what it says and and most of you in this room are newborn babes Uh, there's a few of you that are mature in the faith but for the most part most of you are still babes in Christ and the truth of the matter is I'm not bragging or boasting because what you're going to find as you grow the more you understand the more you realize you don't understand right now with that said that's because this is God's because I said so. And there is no way that you and I will ever be able to grasp the complete and the entirety and the scope of who He is and His plan and His purpose and His providence and His sovereignty. But He has given you His word, His because I said so, so that you can wrestle with it, so that you can understand it, so that you can know and so that you can be sure of your salvation. You see how that works? He's given that to you so that you can know who you believe in and can be persuaded that He is able to keep that which He's given unto you. You you see? That's what Paul said. And so the Bible has been given to you so that you can know God uh, and understand Him and know 
uh, how to have a relationship with him and your neighbors and with yourself and how to oppose the enemies and how to stand firm in the faith. And that's why you've been given that word. And so as kids, what you'll find is we still have a lot of questions and there's a lot of times that um, our Heavenly Father is just going to see fit to say, because I said so, and you as a child are going to have to trust him. So, a couple of premises before we jump into the text tonight. Number one, the first premise is this. Everybody say this with me. God is is good. good. Let's try that again. God is good. Alright? The second thing is, God is in control. Alright? God is in control. Alright? So let's try that together. God is good. And God is in control. Alright, I want you to think about this. Is there anybody today in hell where God is sitting up on His throne in heaven pulling His hair going, Oh no, how did He slip through the cracks? No. Alright? Is there anybody in heaven that God said, Wait a minute, He wasn't supposed to get in? No. So you see, you understand God is in control and He is good. And there's not one person in heaven except Jesus that deserves to be there. And there's not one person in hell that doesn't deserve to be there. So when you begin to act like a child and question God and say things like this, um, uh, if you are so good, why do you send people to hell? The better question is this. If you are so just, why don't we all go to hell? Mm -hmm. See, that's the other side of the coin that we don't think about. We think about it from the child's perspective as opposed to the father's perspective. Because if God does what is right and what is just, then we all deserve hell. Yet in His grace and in His love and in His mercy, He reached down into a world full of broken and busted people and He said, nope, I love you too much to let you go there. Amen. And God has had a people from Adam to the last person that's going to believe and He knows who they are and He will guide them. The Good Shepherd laid His life down for them. And the Good Shepherd does not lose sheep. So if you are in this room today and you are a child of God, it is because you have His promise. He sought you. He bought you with His redeeming blood. That's what we just sung in that song a minute ago. Adam did not go looking for God. God had to come in the garden and say, Adam, where are you? And had God not done that, Adam would have never found Him. He'd have stayed in his fig leaves till he died and rotted. And so God is in control. And God is good. Now with that said, now we'll jump into the text. And I, I got, let me make sure I got one. Okay. So um, let's uh, read a passage of Scripture. And, and then we'll open with prayer. And then we'll kind of start talking about uh, what we're going to study tonight. The decree of God. And, and the basis behind this is, is that God has made a decree before the earth was ever founded. And everything that's going to happen is going to happen the way it's supposed to happen. Everything. Nothing catches by God by surprise. And so what you're going to have to do as his child is learn to trust him and wrestle with things like this. It is not his will that any should perish. And yet there are people perishing in hell. Is God's will being bent? Is God's will being broken? That's something you're going to have to wrestle with as, as His child. And so, so think about it like this. Is, 
is God sending anybody to hell that doesn't deserve to be there? No. So, when we talk about God's will, we need to understand God's will from two perspectives. One, God has a what is known as a decorative will, and then God has a what is known as a permissive will. So, His decorative will is this. Thou shalt not murder. That's the decreed will of God. Is it God's will that we not kill folks? Yes. Alright? Well, what about the people that nailed Jesus to the cross? Were they doing that according to God's will? God's will says don't kill. Are you with me? Are y'all, y'all understand what I'm saying? So God's decorative will is thou shalt not kill. But His permissive will was to permit or to allow creatures like me and you to make decisions. And even the wickedness of those people that nailed Jesus to the cross was being used for the glory and the goodness of God. Alright? So you understand where I'm coming from with this. And again, this is going to be a tough thing. Guys, it's going to be tough. Because as children, we're going to have all kinds of questions why. And I'm hoping that with the outline and the scriptural verses I've given you tonight and what we're going to talk about tonight, I'm hoping that it will give you uh, a way to get started on your way. Okay? So let's look at Romans chapter 8. We're going to go to the very end of the uh, chapter uh, 8 of the book of Romans. Remember... The book of Romans was a letter written to the Christians where? In Rome. Now you will hear a lot of people say that the letter to the Romans, that's what this is by the way, the letter to the Romans. Paul wrote a letter, right? A 15 page letter or 15 chapter letter. It didn't have chapters when he wrote it. We put those in there. But he wrote a letter to the Romans. He loved them and he wanted them to know God. He wanted them to know what kind of faith they had and he wanted them to see God's perfect plan for them. And so the whole letter is a letter written to the Roman, the, the church at Rome. Okay? There are certain people that will tell you, well, Paul was talking about the church in verses 1 through 8, and then when he got to 9, 10, and 11, he started talking about the nation of Israel, and then he goes back to talking about the church again in 12, 13, 14, and 15. The reality is the whole entirety of the letter is a letter written to all believers so that we can know God. All scriptures God breathed and is provided for our, our education, for our uh, uh, reproof and, and for encouragement and understanding. You see, God has given us an entire word so that we can know Him better. And so in Romans 8, what you're going to see is there's an argument going on here. He's talking about in uh, Romans chapter 8, the beginning, the, the entirety of Romans chapter 8 is about life in the Spirit. Once I am a believer and the Spirit of God lives within me, this is what life looks like in the Spirit. And then he's going to talk about how we win in Christ. And so I want you to look in verses um, 28. This is a verse that a lot of you have quoted. I've heard you quote it, and I've heard some of the other teachers here at this place quote this. And it says what? We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. Okay? What does that mean? Everything works for good. Nuclear bombs and Holocaust 
and tornadoes and typhoons and pandemics and uh, diseases and death and dying. Everything is, I didn't say everything is good. Everything works for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. And so what we're fixing to see here in a minute is Paul is going to show us how that works out. Because the same event can happen to two people and for one purpose, one person it can be good and for another person it can be evil. But the reality is it's all going to work for our good and His glory. Okay, so look what he says. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Now, watch what he says next. Um, this is known in theology as what is known as the golden chain of redemption. The golden chain of redemption. What is redemption? God's purchasing a people for Himself. All right, God's saving a people. So what we're going to see here is we're going to see a golden chain. We're going to see a chain that's got links. And all of those links have been put together by God and none of them can be broken. It's one giant link. Alright, now watch what he says. For those who he foreknew, he also predestined, that's a word we hate. People hate that word. They hate it. And the reality is the only people that should hate that word is ones that aren't believers yet. Because if you're in this room today and you're born again blood-bought believer, it's because He predestined you to become a believer. And it's a good thing. And it's not something you should frown on. And we're going to see how that works out in the rest of this passage we're going to read in a minute. But look, it says, those He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son so that He would be the firstborn among many brethren. Alright? So, what does it say? Those who were... He said, uh, those who He foreknew, He predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. Um, salvation is a tri... Uh, tripart... I don't know what the word I'm looking for. It's a triad. It's justification... Sanctification and glorification. Justification is the one-time act of God declaring you righteous. Sanctification is Him conforming you to His image. And glorification is going to be the day that you get a new body to match the new person you are on the inside. And all of that is your salvation. You are saved. You are being saved. You will be saved. Are you with me? And whose work is it? Whose work is justification? God's work. Whose work is sanctification? God's. And whose work is glorification? God's. Now, I want you to think about something. We were talking about kids and parents a few minutes ago. When you were a child, you honestly were convinced that the world revolved around you. That was all you thought about. You. Me, me, me. It works the same way when we become a newborn babe in Christ. We kind of think it's because we went down an altar and gave our heart to Jesus. Or we think it's because uh, I decided to let Jesus into my heart. The reality was it wasn't about you. It was about Him. And it was about how much He loved a hell-bound person like you and me. You see what I mean? And as you grow in the faith, 
you will learn to depend more and more on His goodness. God is good and God is in control. So as you grow in the faith, you'll learn to trust more and more in His goodness and His control as opposed to your rebellion and your chaos. You see? And the more you trust Him and His goodness and His control, the more at peace you will be. And the more you rely on what He's doing as opposed to what you're doing, the more sure you'll be of your salvation. How many people struggle with knowing if they're a believer or not? You better believe it. And we all have. And you know why it is? Because we're dependent on something we have done or something we haven't done yet. Instead of depending on the finished work of Christ. I'm wearing this shirt tonight. To tell us die. It is finished. That's the last thing Jesus said on the cross. It's done. He sought you. He bought you with His redeeming blood. And Him walking out of that grave alive is proof that He purchased your salvation and His Father was pleased with that work on the cross. And once you put your trust in Him, once you put your trust in that work that He has done for you, then you have something you can always depend on. Right? I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. So what do you do? Die. What do you do in your salvation? Nothing but sin that caused you to need to be saved. All the work is God's. And when you start laying your salvation or your assurance on what you're doing, you're going to be unsure. You see how that works? So we trust in God. And we trust in His grace. And we trust in the fact that He keeps His promises. So look what He says there. It says, And those He predestined, He called. And those He called, He justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. What does that mean? That means that all of those, He foreknew you, He predestined you, He called you, He justified you, and He glorified you. And you say, wait a minute, I don't have a glorified body. I still gain weight when I eat sweets, and I get sick, and I have to go to the doctor because my back hurts. I'm not in a glorified body yet. But remember, your salvation, the entirety of your salvation, your justification, your sanctification, and your glorification is as sure as that empty tomb. Your sanctification, your justification, your glorification is sure as the fact that He is sitting on the throne in heaven right now waiting for His enemies to be made His footstool. That's how sure your salvation is. Alright? And it's all one big link. So, if He foreknows you, He predestines you. And if He predestines you, then He also calls you. And he, when He calls you, He justifies you. And when He justifies you, He glorifies you. It's a one big link. It's, a, it's, a, it's the, called the golden chain of redemption. And every part of that chain is yours. And it cannot be broken because it's all God's work. And I want you to think about that first word. He said, He knew you. He foreknew you. Now, when we talk about foreknowledge... God is not talking about foreknowing your actions, even though He does. He knows everything you're ever going to do. It's not talking about Him foreknowing something you're going to do. He foreknew you. In the same way, it's the same word that was used when it said Adam knew his wife and they conceived and bore a son. 
There is a spiritual intimacy between the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and the believer that cannot be severed. He knew you. Do you remember in Matthew when Jesus said many people on that judgment on judgment day are going to say, Lord, Lord, didn't we cast out demons in your name? And didn't we do this? And didn't we, didn't we uh, do all these things? And what is Jesus going to say to them? Depart from me. I never knew you. And that's the word. That's the exact word. So it's not the actions. Because a lot of people think this. Well, Jesus died on the cross and He was dying on the cross for all of those people that He knew one day were going to believe on Him. Right? I'm sure that's a way that you've reasoned that in your mind. Alright? But think about it this like this. If Jesus knew you were going to believe in Him and He was dying on the cross for you because He knew that it was something you were going to do, then who is the initiator of your salvation? Your choice. See, when Jesus was dying on the cross, He also knew the people that weren't going to believe in Him. And when Jesus was dying on the cross, there was already a thousand generations of folks that had died rejecting Him. Do you think Jesus was hanging on the cross for Judas or Saul? Or Cain? Now, that's another thing for you to wrestle with. Think about that. Was he? Judas was already dead. He had hung himself and was dead. And now Jesus is hanging on the cross saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Was he referring to Judas? Alright, so this is what you've done. Again, I told you I'm going to challenge you tonight. What you are doing is you are limiting the efficacy of the sacrifice. What you're saying is, is that Jesus' sacrifice was for the whole world. Everybody that's ever lived. And for every sin that has ever been committed. Alright? Well, there's people in hell today. And what that means is, if He died for all of those people in hell, then His sacrifice wasn't good enough to save them. And you're going to say unbelief. No, didn't their free will or whatever they did get them there? No, their sin got them there. Their sin is what put them there. They're paying for their sins. The wages of sin is death. If Jesus died on the cross and paid for their sins, then why are they paying for them? Unbelief. Okay, good. And you say unbelief. Now watch this. Is unbelief a sin? Yeah. Okay, then he died for that too. So that means everybody's saved. Are you with me? Now this is I'm challenging you. I want you to think about your salvation. Because what I say is this. You are limiting, by that, by that mode of thought, you are limiting the efficacy of the sacrifice. You're saying it wasn't good enough to save some people. Huh? We can't mortally comprehend it. So, what I say is, I limit the scope of it. I say that every person that Jesus died to save will be saved. Jesus said this, I am the good shepherd, and I lay my life down for my sheep. So when He was dying on the cross, He was dying for all of those who He foreknew. 
who He predestined to those He conformed, to those that uh, He justified, that He glorified. He was dying to save a people for Himself. And there is not one drop of His blood going to be wasted. Again, I told you I'm going to challenge you tonight. I want you to think about what I'm saying. So, when it says that Jesus, that God foreknew, it's not saying He looked down through the quarters of time and said, oh, I know that that guy's going to believe in me one day, so I'm going to die on the cross to save him. How many people are born into this world and Adam condemned? Everybody. Everybody. That's exactly right. And why are they saved? Alright, so here's what we're going to do. We're talking about the thinking as a, as a child or thinking as an adult. Are they saved because they believed in Jesus? Or are they saved because Jesus died to save them? Good. Alright, good. So you understand where I'm going with this. Alright, now watch. Those He predestined he called. So he knew them already before the foundation of the world is what Paul says. Mm-hmm. Before the foundation of the world, he knew them. Mm-hmm. My sheep. What was he talking about? Keep your place there in Romans really quick and turn back with me to John chapter 6. Look at John chapter 6 really quick. Right? And we're going to start in John chapter 6, verse 29. He's talking to a group of people that had ate the bread and, and they still don't believe Him. And He's saying, the only reason you're following Me is because I filled your belly up with some bread. You're not here because you believe Me. You're here because your belly's rumbling and you want some more bread. Alright, so look what He says in verse... Um, the people said to Him in verse 28, Therefore they said to Him, What shall we do? Alright, what shall who do? We. What shall we do? to do the works of God. And Jesus answered and said to them, this is what you do? Is that what it says? No. It says, this is the work of God that you believe in Him and Him who He has sent. So what is the work of God? Saving faith. It's His working that into you. In John 1, it says this, to all of those who received Him, to all of those that believed on His name, He gave them the right to become children of God. So what happens first? You must be born again before you can even believe. Your faith does not initiate the birth. Your birth initiates the faith. Are you with me? Not There's not a single one of you in this room that chose to be born. Not a single one of you. And if you're in this room and you're adopted, you did not choose your parents either. They chose you. And so the new birth, the spiritual new birth that comes from God is not something you choose. It's His choice. It's what He does for you. Again, why am I emphasizing this? Why is this so important? Because if we can ever learn to trust that it's the work of God that saves us and not something I'm doing, then I'm on sure ground. But the moment I start making it about me and my decisions of what I've done or what I haven't done, then who am I dependent on? Then I'm acting just like those folks. Look, look at verse 28. What shall we do to do the works of God? And, and what did Jesus say? It's not what you do. It's what God does. It's belief. Alright? So, 
if you believe on Him, it's Him working in you and you working it out. But your belief is a fruit, not a root. Your faith is the fruits of salvation, not the roots of salvation. Are you with me? Solid ground. I'm telling you guys. And it's going to be something you're going to struggle with because as kids, we constantly think it's about me. And the more we learn to trust our Heavenly Father and His goodness, the more stable we're going to be. Alright, so he um, keep, stay there in John 6. So, um, in verse uh, 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. But I said this, said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. Watch now. This is tough. I'll just something for you. Circle in your Bible and think about it. Verse 37. All. How many? All. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. Watch now. And this is the will of Him who sent me. That all that He has given me, I lose none. But raise it up on the last day. So, who is the church? Who is the body of Christ? It's the gift of the the Father gave the Son a bride. A gift. You see how that works? All that the Father has given unto me will come unto me. And all that come unto me, I will cast nobody out. And this is the will of Him who sent me, that I lose none of them. So, if there is one of His sheep burning in hell right now, then the will of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have been shattered. Because if we say that Jesus died on the cross to save every person and that it's God's will that none should perish and the Holy Spirit is down here trying His best to get into your heart and save you, what you're saying is your will is stronger than God's will. Wow. Yes? John 3.16 says, Whoever believes in Him... All of the believing ones. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him will not perish. The whosoever's are the ones that the Father has given to the Son. All, it, 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 and I, I'm not going to try to get technical with you, in John 3.16, in the original language, it says all of the believing ones. Pas ha postuon. All of the believing ones. So, in the King James, they made it whosoever. And so, I'm glad you brought that up because watch what happens next in this John 6 passage. Look what he says next. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. For I have come down from heaven to do not my will, uh, but the will of Him who sent me. And the will of Him, who st- and uh, it says, the will of Him who sent me, that all that He has given me, I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and what believes, believes in Him have eternal life, and I myself will raise Him up on the last day. So you see what He's saying there. All of the believing ones are all of the ones that the Father has given to the Son. And it's the Father's will that He did not lose a single one of them. He's not going to lose a believer. 
And the reason that they are believers is because they are receivers. God reached down into a world full of people who were dead in their trespasses and sin and said, I love you too much to let you die. And He saves us. Alright? So again, go back to the question, if God is so good, why do people go to hell? Again, the question, if God is so just, why does anybody get to go to heaven? And the answer to both, the answer to those questions is, it's God's grace. It's God's grace that saves us, and it's God's justice that condemns. And we're going to go back to Romans 8 here in a second and see that. But So look again in verse 41. Therefore the Jews were grumbling, because He said, I'm the bread of life, I came down from heaven. They were saying, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph? Um, Jesus, in verse 43, answered them and said, do not grumble among yourselves. Watch this now. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Alright, y'all remember our little canon make class we had in third grade when we wanted to go to the bathroom and the teacher wanted to teach us proper English? Teacher, can I go to the bathroom? I don't know, can you? May I go to the bathroom? So, may means I have the permission to. Can is the ability to. Are you with me? And so what did he say? No one can come to the Father unless the Father draws him. So every one of you in this room, if you are a believer today, it's because God loved you. In your brokenness and in your sin and your rebellion, with your clenched teeth and your balled up fists dying, He reached down in this world and said, I love you too much to let you live like that. And you know what He did? He drew you to Himself. And because He drew you, what did you do? You received Him and you believed Him. And how many did He draw to Him? All of those who He foreknew. He predestined. Right? He justified. He glorified. It's, a, it's one long chain. It's a beautiful chain of salvation. Alright? So when, when you're here in this room tonight, when, when you're here in this room tonight and you're sitting there thinking, how could God love someone like me? Right? And you say, and maybe you're in here and you doubt that God can love someone like you. Well, be careful that that's not reverse pride. There's a lot of people that will say, well, there's no way God can love somebody like me. Look at all the sin I committed. Well, what you're saying is that His blood on that cross was good enough to save a lot of people. It just wasn't good enough to save me. So stop trusting in your sin and start trusting in your Savior. Trust in His finished work instead of what you're doing. Okay? So let's go... um, Again, John 6, you can go back and read it for yourself. I, I hadn't like tried to pull the wool over your eyes or anything. Go back and read verse 26 through 45 when you've got some time on your own. Um, uh, read that whole, that whole passage there, 26 to, to 58. The whole, that whole passage there. And think about what Jesus is saying. No one can come to me unless the Father draws him. You can't come. And so... Let's go back to Romans 8 now and, and kind of finish 8 and look into 9 a little bit because it's, it, it really, it, it even gets tougher when you get into Romans, uh, the implications from this. Alright? 
What then shall we say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? What's he saying? If you are a part of that golden chain of redemption, there's nothing breaking that. See, if your salvation was based on your will, then you can choose to not be saved too. Are you with me? Like if somebody, if I could sit up here today and convince you to believe in Jesus Christ, then somebody else can stand up here tomorrow and convince you not to believe in Him. It's not, it's, it's, it's who you're believing in that saves you. Right? So, He says, He did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him over for us all. And you say, oh, look, that's everybody. He delivered him over for all. But remember the context of Romans 8. He's talking about life in the Spirit. The life of a person who is filled with the Holy Spirit. And not all of the world is a new creation. Not all of the people in the world are... Therefore, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ. That's the uh, Romans 8.1. And that's the audience for all of Romans 8. Those who are in Christ. So all of those who are in Christ, He delivered. He saved. So when it says in Peter, it is not God's desire that any should perish, but that all should come to salvation, read that passage in Second Peter and see who He's addressing. Because if it's the whole world and He desired nobody to die and go to hell, then there's people in hell today burning against His will. It's, it's disturbing, isn't it? I, I, and I, I'm, I'm with you. And this is something that I have wrestled with for many, many years. But I want you to, because I can see, I know exactly how you feel. Because when somebody first presented this to me, it kind of made me angry. But remember, God is good and God is in control. So our eternal destinies are based on His goodness. Okay? And so, um, who He did not spare, verse 32, He did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him over for us all. How will He not also with Him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. So what does it mean to be elect? We got a new president. His name's Joe Biden. He's a wackadoo, and I don't like the guy. But he was the elected official in the United States. And if you're in here and you're a Biden supporter, I find that's America. You had a right to vote. And thank you for increasing gas prices and housing prices and, and everything else. But that's an election. We vote. All right? And Joe Biden has been elected as the president of the United States. You with me? Joe Biden was not electing to be president of the United States. That would mean it was his choice that got him into office. Right? And so when you go all through the Bible, the children of Israel, and all in the New Testament, when it talks about the elect, or when Peter says you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, when he calls the children of Israel his elect people, His chosen ones. It never uses it in the term of choosing ones or the electing. The focus is always on God's sovereignty 
and God reaching down into a world full of broken and busted people and saying, I love you, and I'm going to forgive you, and I'm going to save you. All right? Now, so as we struggle and we wrestle with this, I want you to think about this. Which scenario gives God more glory? If we all get to heaven one day, Revelation 5.9 says we're all going to be around the throne, people from every tribe, tongue, nation, and we're going to be praising the Savior around the throne. Alright? Which scenario gives God more glory? God chose me or I chose God? You remember when Paul said it's a grace... It's not of works, or, and works is not a grace, lest anyone should what? Boast. So if you're here today and you're saved because you chose God, what makes you better than the other guy? Nothing. Well, but in your statement, there is something. You chose Him and He didn't. Uh, that ain't how it works, though. That's exactly right. That isn't how it works. <laughs> you, you see? So... Uh, Really quick, let's finish up uh, 8, and, and I'm going to challenge you to look at 9 on your own. We never will get to it today. But um, it says, Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is He who died, yes, rather was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also so intercedes for us. What does that mean? He's our high priest. He's in heaven right now interceding for us. All of those in Christ. That means that He's praying for you. And isn't that good to know that your prayers are being... It's superseded by His prayers for you. Right? You have a priest that's never going to fail you. He's always there. And He's not asking you for anything but a broken and contrite heart. That's all He wants from you. Alright? Who will separate us, us, right? amazing grace, we sung about it earlier. If you're in this room today and you're a child of God, it's because of His grace. And it's amazing. And he says, Who will separate us from the love of God? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep going to the slaughter. But in all things we overwhelmingly conquer through Him who loved us. I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, or heights, or depths, or any other created thing will be able to separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Okay? So, our surety and our hope comes in the finished work of Christ and His amazing grace for a fallen and broken people. All right? Now, again, I told you that I wanted to challenge you tonight. I want you to wrestle with this. I want you to wrestle with it. And I want you to get into Scripture. And if you think I'm wrong, that's good. Prove me wrong. Get into Scriptures and show me I'm wrong. And I'll be okay with that. You have a lot of people that come here and teach some things that I don't agree with. Alright? There's a lot of folks come here and teach things that I don't agree with. And listen, Lou is my brother in Christ and I love him to death. But me and Lou don't see eye to eye on Revelation. We have completely different eschatologies. But you know what? He's my brother in Christ and his wife is my sister in Christ and I love them dearly. We don't agree. But that's okay. Right? Because that's about eschatology and last things and there's a lot of speculation. 
But why did God make it so difficult to understand the last things? Because He wants us to get into the Word ourselves and know what we know and why we know it. Right? Iron sharpens iron. And if you can find something, if you can find a chink in what I'm teaching you, do it. Do it. I will be better for it. But if what I'm showing you tonight is showing you some chinks in your thoughts, then get into the Scriptures and find out why there's chinks. Are, are you with me? Yeah. This is what we do for one another. We love one another and we challenge one another to grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ and His love and His grace and His mercy. So really quick, um, give me two more minutes and then we'll be done. Um, this is the, the chapter 3 from something known as the London Baptist Confession of Faith. And we're going to, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to go over um, seven different points. And in the seven points, we'll see this. Number one, from eternity, God has decreed everything that will happen. I want you to go through and, and read that paragraph. And at the, each, at the end of each sentence, there's going to be a footnote, and then there's going to be verses to back up what it says. Chase it down and see what it says for yourself. All right? Uh, number two, God knows everything and His knowledge is not based on passive foreknowledge. What that means is God is not sitting there in heaven waiting for you to make a decision so that He can determine what He knows. That's, that's a summation of it. But look at those verses. Read the, read the uh, things and look at the verses. Number three, God predestines some for salvation and He leaves others in sin. Notice it didn't say He predestined them in their sin. God predestined some for salvation. He leaves others in their sin. So, what does it mean? The whole world is damned. And in God's grace, He reaches down into a world full of people that how many deserve hell? All. And He saves who He wants. Remember, God is good and God is in control. Alright? Number four, God's predestination is individual and unchangeable. Right? Now you may say, well, I don't like that. Right? What, what if my brother or my mom is not predestined to be saved? You're starting to play God when you start thinking like that. Because the reality is this is the way it works. I don't know who the elect are and neither do you. And there's a reason for that. Because who is the gospel supposed to go to? All. We share the gospel with all and we let God do the electing. You, you with me? That message goes out and guess what? If they're predestined, they will be called. And if they are called, they will be justified. And if they are justified, they will be conformed and they will be glorified. Why? Because it's God's work. So what do I do? I just share the gospel with everyone. And, if it, and shame on the man who wants to go around trying to pick out who God's people are. And shame on the man that bases it on a decision that you made. You with me? It's about God. All right. Now, number five, predestination is unconditional. That means it's not based on what we do. It's based on God. And number six, God saves the elect through means. Now, that's what I was just saying, how the gospel goes out. Right. So you might say this. Have you ever thought about this? I know you all have asked before. Well, what about the little guy in... in you know, Ethiopia in the, in the jungle that never heard the gospel. What happens if he dies and goes to hell? 
and he never heard the gospel. That's not fair, God. You can't do that to him. You can't send him to hell. Well, the first presumption that you are making is that anybody, that God, God is required to save anybody. That God, that God is not being fair by offering it to everybody. But here's the reality. There are some little fellers over there in the jungle in Ethiopia. Well, there's mostly desert in Ethiopia. And you know what? They're His sheep. And Jesus loved them and died on the cross for them. And you know what? Because He foreknew them, He will call them. And you know how He's going to call them? Some missionary or somebody's going to get to them. Right. Yes, sir. Man, this is so crazy how God works. About two weeks ago, my brother Dustin asked a question just like that. We couldn't get an answer to it. And I'll be doggone yeah. just here. Yeah. Yes, sir. I want to take it a step further than that. I was actually going to ask you this after class. But I think like pre-Columbus... Native Americans, Amazonian tribes, people that never had an opportunity to hear God, anything about God. Yep. So, they, are, they, are you saying Great question. Great question. How about this? Let me ask you this. How about the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Jebusites? Did they get a chance to believe? I don't know. I don't know the question is that. I'm Again. Everyone that he foreknew will know him. Every so God is good and it's his choice, not ours. And so if there was a Native American Indian somewhere that Jesus died on the cross for, I promise you he heard the gospel. In God's purpose and God's plan, that person heard the message. Some little fella that was on the Mayflower to Nina the Penta Santa Maria came over here and jumped on the horse with a Bible and ran out there and learned their language and shared the gospel. Hundreds of years before, right? Sure, sure. Well, but remember, everything started right there in the heart of the cradle of civilization, right over in Central Africa, and like everything spread from there. You see, and the reality is that God has been saving people all through history, all over the place. But He does it by the gospel. So. Um, that question that y'all are asking, some of that will be answered and God saves through means. He's got a way that He's going to save people. And what is the means? Salvation comes by hearing, hearing the Word of God. How will they be able to hear someone that doesn't go and preach to them? That's what Paul goes into in Romans 10. All right? All right? And then the last thing, you can have the elect, the, those that are chosen of God can have assurance in salvation. Why? Because it's based on God's promise to them, not their promise to Him. Right. All right? So, I hope that this puts a lot on your plate. I hope it stirs you and angers you a little bit. That's okay if it does. All right? I, really. Because it angered me when I first somebody first presented it to me. It really got me upset. No, it didn't anger me. I just felt really wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we feel like, God, that's not fair. you got to like let everybody have a chance. No, no, no. I mean, like, I feel like, uh, when, I forgot what it was you said, but as soon as I heard, no, oh yeah, saying that his sacrifice wasn't good enough. I felt really bad when I heard that. Sure. And 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 I've had a lot of people tell me that. Listen, I I've, um I remember I I was an, an addict too, and and I work with addicts and 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 people in drug and alcohol rehab all the time. That's my job. That's what I do. And one of the things, that, one of the tendencies we have as addicts and, and alcoholics is, is we're very selfish. That's number one. And we found an idol that takes place of God and it's killing us. But another tendency that we have is that we um, have this false humility. 
Like nobody can understand me and nobody can see it from my point of view. You just don't. And there's no way that God could help somebody like me. And it's really a false humility. It's really, Because what you're saying is, I'm more bad than other people. And my badness is so bad that what Jesus did on that cross for me is not going to. No, no, I don't mean nothing like that. It's just I felt guilty when I heard this. Oh, oh yeah. Because cause if they're in hell, so some people will teach you this. They'll say, the reason they're in hell is because they rejected the salvation that was offered to them. Alright? They did reject the salvation that was offered to them. But the reason that they're in hell is because they're paying for their sins. Their rejection is a fruit of their rebellion. You see how that works? In the same way that your faith is a fruit of your salvation. So, if God is working in you, it's going to come out in you. And what's it going to look like? Faith. If God is not at work in you, if you are dead in your trespasses and sin, what is it going to look like? What did he say about ladders? By this time, Lord, he stinketh. He had been in the grave for four days. And so a non-believer, a rebel against God, is dead in their trespasses and sin. And what is it going to look like? They're going to rebel against God. So if you're in this room today and you know that you need Him and you've never turned to Him, He's drawing you to Him. And the gospel is not a plea. It's not an option. It's a command. Repent and believe. God commands you to turn from sin and self and to turn to what His Son Jesus Christ did on the cross. And all those that come to Him, He will never cast anybody away. What does a person do who is not a believer? What does a person who does that does not know Him? They will never turn to Him. And it's their own rebellion and their own sin that's causing them to live that way. All right. And so what you do, this is what you do. If you've got a friend or a loved one, or maybe you're in this room and you're secretly that person I'm talking about, get into the Word and let Him change you. Get into the Word. And if it's your friend, your family, your loved one, share His Word with them because it's only through the Word and the Spirit that people are saved. So we've gone way too long. Let's close with a quick prayer. Um, Father, a lot on our plates tonight. Um, Your Word is so powerful and so uh, breathtaking and so awe-inspiring. And Lord, it just amazes us. And and, uh, to be honest, God, it confuses us at times. You are so big and we are so small. Um, I do pray that what we've talked about tonight will inspire and will encourage and will give some folks here in this room some assurance about your love and your grace and your mercy. And I also pray that it will cause us uh, to have a desire to get into your Word and know what we know and why we know it. And Holy Spirit, is it only going to be through your guidance and your power that we're able to do any of that. So please, take these words that we've shared tonight. Bear them deep in our hearts that we might not sin against you. Help us to know you and to trust you. And help us to realize that you are God and you are good and you are in control. And there is no better satisfaction, no better hope in the world than to know that my Creator is good and that He loves me and that He's in control. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.